0: Hey, do you teach yoga? Have you ever trained to lead yoga classes to be a yoga therapist? Have you ever owned a yoga studio? Maybe even just wondered what it was like for the women and men up there in front of the room on their mats, leading you through endless surya namaskars, down dogs, and pranayamas galore? Well, these are their stories and mine. I'm Rebecca Sebastian, a 20-year yoga teacher, 10-year yoga therapist yoga studio owner and co founder of a yoga focused nonprofit. I've done a lot in the yoga world over the last 20 years, pretty much everything except had a water cooler. You know, a place to share stories, talk about struggles, successes, and find other people who do the same thing that I do. Welcome to working in yoga, a podcast. And Substitute Water Cooler for yoga folks to connect and build community, to share our unique profession, our challenges, and our journeys with the world. Hey, everyone. This week, I am welcoming the fantastic Nicole DeAndrea onto the podcast. She is such a woman. And I love all the content that she's been creating and putting out there online. So she is the owner of Blackbird Yoga Studio in New Jersey. She also owns Nicole D'Andrea Consulting. She consults with yoga studio owners to help them make their business models better. And honestly, I just like hearing her talk because smart women talking about the things that light them up, lights me up, honestly. Nicole and I get into it with, the nitty gritty of COVID, what saved our businesses because we both run yoga studios and the fact that we need to be ethical employers here in the yoga industry. So she has so much good stuff to say and really great self-care tips. So make sure you stay till the end. See you soon. Hey everyone, this week I am welcoming Nicole DeAndrea to my podcast and I'm so excited because she's such a smart voice in the yoga industry when we talk business. So Nicole runs the yoga studio, Blackbird Yoga Studio. She also runs Nicole D'Andrea Consulting, a really awesome consulting business. If you're a yoga studio owner, you should contact Nicole. She has a lot of smart things to say about how we operate our yoga studios. and She also hosts her own podcast, Studionomics, all about what it is to run boutique yoga studios and fitness centers and all of the business behind that. So, Welcome, Nicole.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: I am thrilled that you're here today. And I, like, honestly, I just want to talk to you about everything, but (laughs) let's start first with how did you get started teaching yoga? Because I love everybody's stories about
1: this. All right. Gosh, let's see here. I got to go way back in the archives. So... You know, I have kind of, as most many women do, a tumultuous relationship with movement and exercise and eating and all of those things. And um, early on in college, I was really beating myself up with workouts and using workouts as punishment for eating. And I overexercised and, and there were just so many issues with the way that I was moving my body before I discovered yoga and Mm -hmm. yoga was the first form of exercise that didn't feel like punishment for me. Um, It felt like a reprieve and completely changed my relationship with movement and the reason for movement. So I fell in love with it when I was 20 years old or something like this. Um, Spent a good long time as a yoga practitioner, which I will say is pretty unusual these days. Like I was a practitioner for probably six or seven years before I even considered doing a teacher training. And I just got to the point where I knew I wanted to know more. I, I felt like my yoga teachers knew all this like sacred mystical goodness that I didn't understand. And I really wanted to be a part of it. And at the same time, I was working in rehab. I was working as an exercise physiologist in different types of rehabs. So I wanted to incorporate the mind, mindfulness element in the work I was already doing. Teacher training was the natural next step. Spent a good long time doing the traveling yoga teacher thing, eventually quit my job, uh, (laughs) taught like 16 classes a week while living in my car and having forks and knives in there so that I could eat between gigs. And eventually I I decided if I want to make this my career, I have two choices. I can be, excuse me, you know, an, an Instagram Yogi and do retreats and, and that kind of thing, or I can open a studio and I chose the latter. I really wanted something that was my own. So uh, five years ago, Blackbird Yoga Studio was born, and here we are.
0: Okay, can we just pause for a second talk about the insanity of sixteen to my top was nineteen classes a week as yoga teachers. <laughs> I oh don't my gosh! It. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's I I so can relate to that because there have been so I've been teaching almost twenty years now, and like you, I was a practitioner for a long time before that. I came to yoga because I had pain. And I, yeah, like when I was reaching my max, ironically, when I was pregnant with both my babies, I was teaching between 16 and 19 classes a week. Insanity. I don't know why somebody wasn't smacking me over the head, but instead in yoga, I was getting rewarded for it. I was getting all of the praise of going, oh my God, she can do this because she's a yoga practitioner.
1: (laughs) We're superhuman, right? (laughs) It's Christianity. Christianity. Yeah. I, uh, gosh, you know, I think it really speaks to a fundamental issue with the yoga industry, which is that most yoga teachers don't get paid enough and knowing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm snapping y'all. You're, yes. You're <laughs> yes. So, you know, and when you have to work that much because you're getting paid Twenty bucks a class, thirty bucks a class, whatever it is, you know, it's not virtuous. It's not uh, something to be applauded. And knowing what I know now, I would have never ever done it that way. But hi- hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't it? You know,
0: I came from a studio where the owner herself has been teaching twenty five classes a week for something like thirty years, like since she opened her studio when I was still a high schooler, and I'm forty two, <laughs> like. And she's been teaching 25 classes a week for ever. So Incredible. I did what I was taught to do. Essentially, that was the business model that was in front of me was teach as many classes as you possibly could come all the time, which part of it, I agree with, you have to show up every time you have to maintain community, you have to be there for your students, um, but holy crap nobody told it took me a long time to figure out well golly gee I could make in one workshop what I made in a week teaching 20 classes yeah why did like nobody told me that
1: (laughs) (laughs) well we're here to make it right yeah
0: yeah yeah okay so i've been asking everybody about their experiences during covid partially because on this podcast i've been really honest about i shed a ton of tears my studio was only open six months before covid shut us down yeah so i but i had a whole year to build a strong message so that when everybody came out again like it was really easy to sell memberships and get people in the door Um, But tell me about your experience, because you had a strong business before we went into COVID.
1: Yeah. And I will say that I believe that having a strong business before we went into COVID was a huge check in the right box for us. I feel, I mean, I've consulted with so many businesses that were open for six months, a year, you know, prior to the pandemic. And it's just so, I mean, in that phase, you're just trying to get your legs underneath you and then to have have something like this happen that's been catastrophic for our industry. I can't, I can't imagine it. So hats off to you for getting this far. Um, my business was thriving prior to the pandemic. Of course, like everyone else on March 13th, 2020, I had no issue with closing because I thought it was going to be for two weeks. Ha ha ha. Right. Yep. Like, you know, <laughs> yep. um, you know, and it wasn't difficult for me to make the decision to close. We cater to older women, 60s, 70s and up, a vulnerable population, it wasn't hard for me to make the decision to close the studio. Um, And fortunately, because I already had my consulting business, I had some familiarity with Zoom and uh, I knew how to work mind body to make sure the things were going out automatically. So, you know, we rolled out our first online class on the morning of March 14th. It was not a struggle to get that up and running. So I'm really grateful for sort of the foundation that I had underneath me. Um, we made a huge, we, I say, we, like, it wasn't my decision. I made a big mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I made a a big mistake, which was that on March 13th with no point of reference, like March 13th was just like a day or two before everyone else in the country decided to shut down. So I was making decisions alone and Um, I decided to suspend all of our memberships because Mm -hmm. my thought process was if I'm not delivering a service, they shouldn't have to pay for it. Period. End of story. So I suspended all 160 memberships that we had at the time um, and allowed our students to opt in to online. Um, We retained about half of our membership base and kept that going, you know, until we reopened the following September. Had I should exactly. I have a magic wand and be able to do it again? I would not have done it that way, but this is what happens when you're making game time decisions, right? So, um, we did lose about half of our business and I feel really fortunate that about half of our business was enough to keep us going. Um, I did make some hard decisions. Uh, some staff are no longer with us. I adjusted pay for a little while while we were online only. And then reinstated it when we went back to the studio. I cut down the schedule a lot. I mean, everyone was home, so there was no reason to have five classes a day on the schedule. Um, So I did have to make some difficult decisions. Uh, One of the things that I'm really grateful for is that the business was set up properly. So I had... 18 employees. Um, we were eligible for a significant amount of PPP funding. We took a nice. big EIDL loan. So we were able to sustain ourselves. And really only in the past couple of months, New Jersey has been on the on the safer side of things, which I'm grateful for. But really only in the past couple of months have we started to see things ticking back up toward normal. Um, it's been a long, Long road. We're certainly not out of it. Any <laughs> consultant who says that they were like absolutely killing it during the pandemic, uh, I want to see uh-uh. your nurse. I want to see your QuickBooks. <laughs> yes, no, um, no, you weren't. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know. And 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 to be honest with you, I love my online business. I love consulting. I love what I do. I don't want an online yoga business and not to take yeah. anything away from people who do. I think there are people who do it really well. I'm not one of them. And if I had to run a hundred percent virtual yoga business, I wouldn't do it at all. It's just not what I want the yoga experience to be. It's not the experience that I want to create for my clients. And it's certainly not one that I want to teach or be a part of. So <laughs> there, there it is.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to hear people's stories during COVID, because I do, like you said, there are folks out there who are saying, oh, man, you know, we've really thrived during the COVID experience. And I'm curious to hear more about that, because, yeah. I mean, we. who was coming to your studio? Now, you said you were in New Jersey. New Jersey was um, on the safer side of things. I'm in Iowa. It is the Hunger Games here. <laughs> and, that, and that is not an advantage. I mean, in no. fact, we had a bunch of restaurants and fitness centers um, lobbying our local chamber of commerce because we were open, but people still weren't coming. It's not an advantage for me to say I'm open if your population doesn't feel safe enough to walk in the door so i mean i did almost everything except like a video of me spraying lysol on myself while spinning around in a circle in order to tell my community that we were doing everything we could to make sure that they were safe it wasn't an advantage
1: at all <laughs> yep <sighs> All right. Well, I, I do think that most of the businesses that I I'm working with right now are starting to, you know, we certainly emerge, have emerged yeah. from this, um, which has been a really long road and, and not to take anything away from the people who have like successfully gone online. I've seen it. So I know it's possible. Yeah. Um, it's just not for me.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I have a couple friends, one in North Dakota and one in Colorado and how are bu- the parts of our business that we say saved us, right? So we all have that this is what saved my business story kind of thing happening. In North Dakota, my friend, she online is still hot for her. Like she still is running hybrid classes where she's got a bunch of folks online and a bunch of folks in person. And she like she's sitting here like, I don't know how this happened, but online is super hot for all my studios. My friend in Colorado, she was able to do all of the extra paperwork that Colorado required for them to open in person safely because she runs a climbing gym. So she had a ton of space, right? She could keep people eight feet apart. No problem. Right. Mm -hmm. And she said, our return to in person sooner than everybody else is what saved her business. Now, for me, over the course of the year, I rented my studio for a program called Yoga with Friends, where somebody could rent out the space, control who was in the space, and then I played matchmaker. They said, we want a strong vinyasa class, and I married them with the teacher that was the best for them. And that, I mean... October, November, December. Like when I was at home crying, going, I would, I don't know how I'm going to make it. <laughs> like sure. that was what saved my business. So it's interesting how we all have different stories about it.
1: Yeah. I think what saved my business was our longevity and buy-in from our community where, and timeliness, right? Like right. the first in their inbox to be like, Hey, please come take our classes online. But I do think that we had a strong enough relationship with our community that it was, they were not comparing us against the Adrians of the world. And, right. you, you know, it, it just wasn't an issue. So um, I'm grateful for the amount of support that we had. That's what saved our studio.
0: Nice. So I want to talk about the reason why I contacted you is because you made this post that I think is so important. And we were talking, you were talking about, yoga studio owners paying their teachers, even when somebody doesn't come to class, which by the way, for me was most of 2020 (laughs) because we were open from May 15th all the way through May 15th, 2020, all the way through the rest of the year. And people weren't coming, but we were still open and I was still paying my teachers because they booked out their time.
1: Yeah. Talk about that. Okay. Uh, Well, I do have to start with a disclaimer that is if no one's I mean COVID aside let's just COVID aside let's just say 2020 didn't happen, shall we? Right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) COVID aside, if a class has zero people in it with any degree of consistency, it shouldn't be on your schedule. I mean the people are talking to you with their lack of engagement. So one of the things that I say all the time is that I'm not um I'm not superwoman. I don't know like a ton of stuff that everyone else doesn't know. But what I do have is the willingness to fix what's not working and change really really quickly. So if a class isn't working or a teacher's not working or a workshop idea isn't working, it just goes and I think like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. So if you keep a class on your schedule for months and months with no attendance, like that's on you, that's on you for <laughs> not being willing to, to have a hard conversation or to make a change. I know change is terrifying, but it's got to be done when you're an entrepreneur. So that's my kind of, you know, let's, let's put that aside, but that's my caveat. Preach. <laughs> yeah. But Your people are what make your business. Your people who have their boots on the ground and get in front of your customers are the ones who are going to make or break the experience in your studio. They're your best retention strategy. They are the people that your customers make an emotional connection with. They're the reason why people come back. You've got to value them. And I'll never, ever forget a a former studio owner, boss of mine. uh, She was trying to come up with like creative and creative ways to incentivize us to do something. I forget what it was. And her husband was like, nothing says I appreciate you like being able to put gas in your car, like pay them in dollars, (laughs) show them that you value them with dollars so that they are motivated to represent you well in front of your customers. And many, many yoga studio owners are still having that feeling of like, well, I'm going to teach most of the classes. And no, you want to set your business up so that it can thrive without you. And the way to do that is to motivate your teachers by paying them appropriately. But my real point with that post is that we, we get so stressed out with our businesses that we like go for this, the, the micro, right. We look at these like teeny tiny little things, like whether or not a singular class had students in it or not. And we like laser focus on, should I pay the teacher $20 for showing up or not? When the truth is like that's a tree, right? The tree the forest is saying you've got major issues in your business. Like if you oh. have split hairs over whether or not to pay a teacher 20 bucks or 30 bucks or 50 bucks for for their time, you've got massive issues that need to be that need to be worked on. And it's a revenue issue. You're not making enough money. So no. there are changes that need to happen, big picture changes that are so well beyond what you pay your teacher for not showing up. So I think it's really important to have someone, um, whether it's a consultant like myself or another business owner, a mentor, a friend, look at your business through an objective lens and say your problem is not the one no show you have on Thursday nights. The problem is that you're not charging enough, or yeah. that, that you know. So. That was my point, <laughs> but I get if, all like, I'm no. Like shooting, you know? <laughs> no, no,
0: it's so true though. I mean, it really is. Like you said, people focus on the micro also because I think the micro is easier to fix. They think the micro is easier to fix. Oh, mm-hmm. well, if I make one tiny shift all of a sudden it will be magic and my business will be amazing. It's like when you try something new and you're like, oh my God, I'm so nervous to put myself out there because all of a sudden I'll be popular. No, you
1: won't. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's exactly it, right? And it's we go for the low-hanging fruit because we want that sense of accomplishment. We want the sense of having taken action. And that's all normal. That's like a human... Desire. When we look at our to-do list, you know, naturally we go for the easiest thing because we want the satisfaction of having ticked that box. So it's a lot easier to think about, you know, on your classes on a on a micro level than it is to think about changing your entire pricing structure or changing the entire model of your business to one that's more sustainable. That feels scary and overwhelming. And as human beings, we tend to procrastinate on the things that we feel an underlying sense of inadequacy around. If we feel like we can't do it, or we don't know how to do it, or it's too big a job, we don't do it, right? Yeah. So, but becoming aware of that tendency is super important when you're an entrepreneur, because if you go fixing trees all yep. the way, the forest is going to be burning somewhere behind <laughs> yes. you. you know? Yeah, it's
0: um. You said something really smart in that. So one of the things you'd said is yoga studio owners who do all of the teaching themselves. Mm -hmm. So I actually came from a yoga studio where I worked for God like fifteen years or so, where the owner herself taught all these classes. And before I press record, I was sharing you like you know I teach all these classes. I used to teach all these classes per week. And, and this person does too. And one of the things, now she's getting getting older and I looked at her business and I went, how are you gonna sell a business where you're the only person teaching classes because you don't have students who will move to someone else? Yeah, you can't. That's not sustainable. Who, who buys a business that was thriving but when you leave it has nothing?
1: Yeah, you, it, you can't. Or, <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite books, one of the first business books I ever read is called Built to Sell. And the premise yeah. is, it's a great one. It's it is. Great. Yeah. I like read it in the bathtub. So <laughs> um, the premise is that even if you have no intention of selling your business, which in the beginning, most of us don't, um, position it as though you're going to, because A, probably one day you'll want to. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. B, that's how you can start to extricate yourself from the doing, right? From like the actual, I'm the one who does the classes. I'm the one who sweeps the floors. I'm the one who does the books, whatever, right? Into the, the more fun part, the more rewarding part, and the part that most of us got into this in the first place for, which is the visioning. Part and yeah. creative part, right? The only way to free up the bandwidth to do that fun stuff is to stop doing. It's yeah. the only
0: way. It is. You'll never have time to work on your business if all your working time is spent in your business. I mean, and that's one of the, th- so I originally where I started my space was I'm a yoga therapist. I frankly just needed space to see my clients. But as I've shifted forward, turns out this whole business running thing is really fun. And like you said, super creative and you can be really innovative. And for me, I'm like, ooh, this industry, we could break a bunch of stuff here and build it better. Let's do that. That sounds fun.
1: Fun. That part is fun. Yeah. Yeah. part that's not fun is like cleaning your toilets and managing sub requests. And teaching 27 <laughs> classes of me.
0: <needlework. laughs> Looking around your studio being like, who moved the thing that I need?
1: Oh man. <laughs> <I'm> yeah.
0: Like... <laughs> All right. Okay. So before we go, because I appreciate you taking your time and also, y'all, seriously, if there are studio owners out there who need a business coach. I follow literally all of them in the industry. I make my business following everybody I possibly can. Nicole DeAndrea, she is the smartest one out there. Like really, your content is on fire. Like follow her Facebook, get in her Facebook group. Like, I'm not kidding. We've like literally just met on this call. (laughs) Like you're a super smart voice in this industry and I love it so much. Give us a self care tip because yoga folks, professionals, studio owners, studio owners especially really suck at this. Um, <laughs> we do. We suck at self care.
1: Yeah. <laughs> What's your tip? Oh man, oh, God, I have to. Do I have to pick one? Um, no, you can pick two. All right. Well, I, I'm currently pregnant, so I've got like the the army of professionals around me. Like it takes a village. So I do. I, I have none negotiable time carved out in my schedule every week and every month for a couple of things. I get a massage every single month without fail, 90 minutes, the whole, the whole thing. I have a personal trainer twice a week. I go to a yoga class once a week outside of my own studio. Yes. Um, so it's really just important for me to do my self-care things and to treat them like they're as important as anything else on my calendar. So I've actually got time blocked out for, for all of those things. So my tip is to treat whatever it is that makes you happy, whether that's getting massage or going for a walk or uh, taking a, a yoga class somewhere else is to treat that as though it's as important as sending out your email newsletter or teaching your class or whatever it is. Um, those are sacred times for me. And honestly, I think that, because i take care of myself that's why i'm able to create good content and uh you know and show up for my clients in a meaningful way because i'm not running myself ragged the way i was you know when i first opened my studio a lot of my tips and tricks and advice and things are based on my own lived experience i totally know what it is to wear all the hats i know what it is to live in your car i know what it is to teach yoga all day and then wait tables at night. And like, I've been there. Yeah. Yes. Me too. (laughs) I did. I worked at a steakhouse. I would like, you know, namaste during the day and then be like medium rare (laughs) and uh, cabernet. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) I've done it all. Yeah. Um, But uh, these days it's for, in order to show up the way that I do for my people, I've got to take care of myself first.
0: Okay. Yes. We need to say that every time, all the time, y'all, like all of us holding space for everyone else, because that's what we all did during the pandemic, which my friend Allison talked about actually on the podcast that's dropping this week is that what made this extra hard for us is that we were also holding space for people who were looking to us to go, how do I cope? Mm -hmm. And that, that was self-care is so critical. Yes. Mm -hmm. Put it on your
1: calendar. Listen and to Nicole. Coming down the, the pipe in the industry. Actually, it's here already. Um, one of the benefits of being a mind-body certified business consultant is that we have some access to meta studies of you know thousands and thousands and thousands of, thousands of fitness and wellness business customers. And overwhelmingly, customers are looking for mental health experiences or experiences yeah. that improve their mental health this year and probably in the years moving forward so what we do is not disposable it's not optional and it's more important that to your customers than probably many of us give ourselves credit for
0: Ooh, okay we're leaving on that note because i just got chills and that's so good (laughs) <laughs> um, Nicole, tell everybody where to find you so they can get all your cool content that I
1: get to see. Sure. Okay. Well, the, the main place that I hang out in online is my Facebook group. It's called the profitable studio community. Um, I also have a website, Nicole, And I always do a free 60 minute initial consult strategy session with anyone who might be interested in learning how we can work together.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming. I'm so grateful. This is going to be such a good podcast. People are going to learn so much. (laughs) I love it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Okay. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you again, Nicole, for coming on the podcast and chatting about your experiences with COVID. I really enjoyed talking to another studio owner about all of our struggles and challenges and interesting things that we found during our time running businesses during COVID. So you can find Nicole at the Profitable Studio on our Facebook group. You can find her at Consulting.com or at Blackbird Yoga Studio. And I can't wait to introduce you to next week's guest. So we'll see you then.